Welcome to Dr. Warwick's podcast channel. Warwick is a practicing cardiologist and author with a passion for improving care by helping patients understand their heart health through education. Warwick believes educated patients get the best health care. Discover and understand the latest approaches and technology in heart care and how this might apply to you or someone you love. Hi, my name is Dr. Warwick Bishop and welcome to my podcast and videocast station. Today, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to interview Tanya Hall, who is CEO of Hearts for Hearts. And we're going to find out more about Tanya and more about Hearts for Heart today. Tanya, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, Warwick. Thanks for having me. So uh, this is in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, and I'm just going to let everyone know we're social distancing. I'm down here in Hobart. And Tanya, where are you at the moment? I'm in Melbourne, Victoria. So we're, uh, well, we're about a thousand kilometres away from each other. So, that we are. So no risks there. Look, um, I'm really delighted to have you to share some stuff about yourself and Hearts for Heart today. But First of all, for people who may never have heard of the organisation, could you tell us what Hearts for Heart is all about? Yes, certainly. So Hearts for Heart is a national charity. We support, educate and advocate for Australians living with heart disease. And we're also in New Zealand too. Um, And we we specialise in arrhythmias, heart arrhythmias. So we facilitate uh, national heart buddy groups and we um, facilitate uh, national, you might have heard of our um, AF Awareness Week, so we run national screening events for atrial fibrillation and arrhythmias and we do a lot of advocacy work uh, in federal government. So we um, work with federal government on ensuring that or work towards ensuring that patients have access, access to therapies. So just in terms of someone who might be listening to this and not really sure what advocacy for people with heart rhythm disturbance mean, can you put that in really simple terms for, for just a, maybe an example of the sort of thing that has come across your desk in the last couple of months to, to just make it a, a bit easier to understand? Yeah, sure. So I guess um, particularly with the COVID-19 situation, um, cardiologists are working hard to um, to look after their patients from home. And so um, at the moment, and particularly for those patients that have uh, pacemakers and um, defibrillators, there's what's called um, remote monitoring. And so, um, so we have been working with um, cardiologists to try and get cardiac monitoring funded and so um, that's something that we've been advocating for um, with the Cardiac Society to try and get that funding so that cardiologists can monitor patients from home. So that's an example mm-hmm. of one of the things that we advocate for. Um, another thing is, is that um, a treatment for atrial fibrillation and arrhythmias, as you well know, Warwick, is uh, catheroblation. And so we've been working very hard over the past few years to have that funded and available in hospitals. So things like that is something that we would advocate for um, so patients have access uh, in hospitals and not have to wait. Um, Fantastic. Have you got, uh, is that a background noise at your end or my end? Um, 
very quiet here. Yeah, okay, it's probably me. Look, um, so for people who are not medically minded, pacemakers are the devices that sit in your chest and keep the heart beating if you don't have your own rhythm. So Tanya's talking about monitoring those remotely without having to go into the clinic. And similarly, devices that sit in that sort of just under the shoulder area, which can restart the heart if, for example, the heart rhythm goes out. These are defibrillators, and that's the same uh, concept where Tanya's advocating or trying to advance the opportunity for people with these devices to be able to be checked from home, which is just a fantastic idea in the normal world, but in this COVID-19 world, uh, where we're trying to isolate and trying to reduce risk of contact, it's a great idea. The other thing that Tanya was touching on was catheter ablation. And what that means to the layperson is wires and tubes that go into your heart by, uh, by very highly qualified cardiologists in a specific area of rhythm with the heart to alter or ablate or destroy or control funny rhythms that that individual could have. So Tanya, just your own story a little bit, your CEO of Hearts for Heart, how did that come about and where does your interest lay in this area? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'm a heart patient myself and uh, I was born with heart problems and um, it's a very long story, but I uh, was in my early 30s that I was uh, having a number of heart problems and was in and out of hospital for a period of three years and looked for information and support and there wasn't anything available. And so, um, you know, the more people I asked, the more I realised that there are a lot of people out there that also needed information and support. And so I thought I'd start something myself. And so initially I thought I'd start a website and um, provide information that I had found along the way. And um, a long story short, we grew really quickly. And so I guess over the years we have grown, um, well, we grew quite quickly and we were providing, um, you know, facilitating support groups um, uh, nationally within a year and um, and then starting, started running awareness campaigns and then uh, cardiologists started knocking on our door saying that there were um, access problems in terms of, um, you know, um, therapy problems. And, uh, and so we've sort of grown organically and gone into different areas and so that's how... That's how I suppose we've um, how we've grown. So yeah, so it's through my own experience that that Hearts for Heart was founded. So how many people would be in the organisation or um, within your membership, Tanya? Just approximately. We have. It's difficult to say, but we would have a few thousand people, and people follow us at different times. And um, I mean, we screen. I mean, even with the screening events that we run, we screen thousands of people each year. Um, and we pick up undiagnosed atrial fibrillation each year and we hear many stories that, um, that we've prevented strokes, um, which is an incredible feeling for us. I mean, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, so, and, and obviously, I mean, there's lots of different levels of support that we provide. Um, we provide over-the-phone support too. Um, we, we, we bring to people together in person for um, peer support and now we're providing... Um, as we've facilitated a Zoom meeting, heart buddy groups now, obviously because we are unable to meet in person. So there's a support aspect. There's the um, public awareness that and prevention that we that we sort of 
facilitate and then there's the advocacy side. So we're sort of trying to tackle it from all areas. But, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's difficult for us to, um, to put a finger on how many people that, we, that follow us because, there's, again, there's the, the public side and then there's the, the patient support side, but there's most definitely thousands of people. So when, um, when you think about particularly, let's step away from advocacy and awareness for a moment because you talked about atrial fibrillation week and you've talked about the advocacy for remote monitoring. Let's talk about patient support a little. What, um, just a couple of examples perhaps of individuals that you can think of off the top of your head where Hearts for Heart has really been able to reach out and help these people when they've needed something. What Could you share an example or two, Tanya? Of, uh, of people that have needed our support. Yes. Yeah, look, I mean, we have a range of different patients that come to us, you know. Um, I mean, atrial fibrillation is a condition. I mean, you've joined our heart buddy group recently via Zoom, which is wonderful. Thank you. Um, and you provided. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we do have different people that join our, our Zoom meetings and even heart buddy groups um, to, you know, for if people have questions or, um, you know, we have different experts in different areas that join us. Um, but atrial fibrillation is one area that we, obviously, that we run campaigns on because it's the most common arrhythmia. But we do have other people with different conditions. Um, so we have ventric ventricular tachycardia and um, we have... Uh, can, um, congenital heart disease patients and we have various different heart conditions because there are so many um, you know we don't have just the patients who who um, have uh, coronary disease sorry that's my dog barking in the background um, and so we often um, link patients with like with similar conditions. Sorry, I might just grab her because she might continue to bark. Bear with me for one second. So while Tanya is a sorry about that, this is the problem with uh, with working from home um, during COVID nineteen. Um, so we often link patients together uh, so that they can share their story and so that they don't feel alone. So that's something I just really think it's important to, to point out because there do are so you, many um, different... Do you at times have patient education material that you shoot out? Absolutely. So we have developed, <laughs> good point, we have developed different um, uh, education materials and the education materials that we have developed, we go through a number of different processes. So we have um, patients together um, we bring patients together and we facilitate focus groups. So we make sure that we are um, addressing a number of different patients' needs. Um, and then we have our medical advisory committee that come together um, and so that, that they collectively write them together. And, and then we have the patient focus group um, review them again. So we go through a number of steps to make sure that we are writing them um, in a way that patients like to, to read them. And become, them and understand. They've become a lately about atrial fibrillation that could inform patients about this complex condition. Sorry, what was that? Have you come across any excellent books lately about <laughs> atrial that could inform patients about this complex condition? I have actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a cardiologist by the name of Dr. Warwick Bishop that's written <laughs> a wonderful book <laughs> on oh, atrial fibrillation. Shameless plug. 
But uh, <laughs> look, we're going to come toward an end now. It's been fantastic to talk. If people wanted to know more about Hearts for Heart, presumably they go to the website. And yeah. uh, Absolutely. I imagine you'll be sharing this on your social media when the time comes and you'll include a link below. Um, I'm actually, apart from trying to put a shameless plug about my book in there, I am actually proud to be uh, working with Hearts for Hearts so that we're able to uh, make my book available to members within uh, Hearts for Heart or on behalf of Hearts for Heart. And we're able to uh, put some money back into the organisation to keep it going so that individuals can get some great information and we're able to help Hearts for Heart along the way. It is terrific to hear you've got not just support, uh, but uh, awareness and advocacy all covered. And um, it sounds like it'll just keep growing because these, these problems are really in increasing in number as we do raise awareness and become more and more uh, tuned in to the importance of dealing with these issues properly. I'm gonna wrap up, Tanya, is there anything you'd like to finish up with or any last thoughts? Um, no, I would just say that if you have any uh, queries or questions, please do visit our website, um, which is uh, www.heartsforheart.org.au or visit our Facebook page, which um, obviously Warwick will also provide the links uh, at the bottom of this podcast. Um, but thank you for having me, Warwick. It's, it's a pleasure being here. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. For those who have tuned in, I really appreciate your time and I hope you've enjoyed today's interview. If you have any queries or questions, as always, drop us a note on members at drwarwickbishop.online. If you've got any suggestions for future podcasts, of course, let us know. And with a bit of luck, we'll have the chance to speak with Tanya Hall again. Take care. Bye for now. Until next time, good health. Hi, my name's Dr. Warwick Bishop and welcome to my podcast and videocast station. Absolutely delighted today to have the opportunity to speak with Tanya Hall, who's CEO of Hearts for Heart. But more than that, she's a human being and a patient who suffers with arrhythmic disturbance. And today, I'd really like to take the opportunity to talk about the broad spectrum of rhythm disorder and how variable it can be between different people. But before we do, welcome, Tanya. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Warwick. Thanks for having me. So... Uh, just a brief introduction, and then Tanya can add to this, but Tanya's CEO of Hearts for Heart. She's been running that organisation for a decade or thereabouts and um, became involved with Hearts for Hearts, which is a support and awareness and advocacy group for rhythm disturb disturbance for individuals with rhythm disturbance. And... She's also suffered rhythm disturbance herself. So just if you're comfortable, Tanya, give us a little bit of your own medical history background and uh, a bit of a picture of where things started for you and, and bring us to where we are now. Yes, certainly. Um, so I was born with a hole in my heart. Um, I was, uh, it was when I was in hospital with uh, wheezing bronchitis that my cardiologist or that the doctors picked it up when I was six months old. And um, I was monitored for um, nine years. I had sort of uh, quarterly appointments with my cardiologist and it wasn't until I moved to Sydney um, that um, 
I had my first checkup when I was nine years old that the, they decided to then operate and I had open heart surgery and, um, and I was okay post-surgery up until I was probably about um, 17, 18 and that's when I had my first arrhythmia. And so... Can I pause you there just for a second, Tanya, oh. for those who are listening who don't understand what a hole in the heart is, it's a pretty scary sounding thing having a hole in your heart. This is a really important organ that you don't want holes in. Well, um, from us uh, talking about this previously, if I could just share, Tanya, your particular situation was a hole in the heart that was a connection between the two top chambers of the heart or what we call the atria, the the pre-pumping chambers. So these top chambers of the heart give the blood a little squeeze so that the blood goes into the main pumping chambers on the right-hand side, the main pumping chamber pumps out to the lungs. On the left-hand side, the main pumping chamber pumps out through the aorta to the body and gives rise to the pulse that we feel. So the atria are the pre-pumping chambers or the slightly smaller chambers at the top of the heart. And it was a connection or a, a a defect in the wall that should separate those two that was your trouble. That's so, right. Uh, had that fixed at nine years of age. What? And then uh, it wasn't until 18 you had some problems with arrhythmia. How did that come? Yeah, so I woke up feeling like I was having a heart attack and my, you know, my chest was moving and it was going at 200 beats a minute and I, and I sort of crawled to the bathroom and I started vomiting and I called a taxi because... <laughs> which is crazy, um, went to the doctors and, and they sort of made me do these, you know, breathing exercises to make it stop, which is crazy. I wish they did an ECG because then it took sort of years for them to actually put an ECG on me to get the, you know, to find out what it was. Because um, as you know, that's what you need to do to get <laughs> to diagnose it. Um and uh, anyway, and, and because that's what happened, it, it then started, it just got progressively worse as time went on. And um, and so, um, and I guess I've had, a, you know, to cut a long story short, because that has been a long journey between now, then and, and now I've had, I've got, a, I have a pacemaker and uh, I've, I've, I have, mine is, is rather complex because I suppose there's, quite a lot of scar tissue on my heart from that procedure, the open heart surgery. Um, I've been told that part of it is because of the procedure and part of it is congenital, part of it is because I was born with it. So um, I have atrial fibrillation, but I also have a, a few other arrhythmia conditions. So I've had a couple of uh, catheter ablations and, um, and obviously have the pacemaker. Uh, and the catheter ablations that I had 10 years ago did help me for quite some time. Um, and well, for 10 years, actually. And I recently had another catheter ablation, um, which solved one problem, but I now have another. So I'm waiting to have another <laughs> procedure. Um, so I'm still not able to walk or without having arrhythmias or even... I could jump in there for a moment, uh, Tanya, just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what a catheter ablation is, because it's a, it's a little bit uh, science fiction sounding, really. What's a catheter ablation? Well, it's where um, doctors who are trained in the electrics of the heart 
introduce wires, what we call catheters, but wires basically up into the heart, often from an access point in the leg, in the groin, we pass tubes up and we move those catheters or wires around inside the heart. And they often have a freezing or a burning tip on the end. And those freezing and burning tips allow us to damage tissue that could be part of a short circuit in the heart. And so by damaging those tissues or removing those short circuits, we can bring some stability to the rhythm. So, so you had one, it uh, sounds like you had a catheter ablation uh, 10 years ago or thereabouts. You've had another one recently and you're waiting for a, another now. So um, sounds like complex time. So what's, when this rhythm comes, how much does it impact on you? Um, can you, are you able to go to work and can you play sport? Does it, does it stop you having a glass of alcohol? How, tell us how it impacts your life. Yeah, look, I, uh, it does for me personally, I, I'm not able to do sports um, because for me, I, again, if I even go for a short walk, it, it does come on. Um, even at the moment, if I, stand it, it it tends to come on um but again it affects everybody differently some people are able to exercise and 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 and, and don't feel it and and their clinician has given them the okay that it's completely safe for them to be able to exercise so don't and as of course you're the cardiologist so so you'd be the best person to talk to about that but but for me it, it impacts me so i'm unable to do it because i'm out of breath and i i, I can't breathe properly so um, so I'm unable to do it, and I don't. I don't drink alcohol because it it affects me. So, um, so it impacts my life in that way, I suppose. Um, so one of the, I think one of the things that I'd really like to highlight in this opportunity to speak with you is the huge diversity of presentation that we see with this condition of atrial fibrillation. Um, yeah. You just you describe or represent someone who's had significant symptoms at a young age, clearly with quite a lot of impact on your life. But um, I can tell you from my own consulting room, I see individuals who come in who are elderly and the condition is found by chance because they're having an ECG because they're gonna get a new knee or a new hip and they'll swear blind that they have no symptoms whatsoever and I can tell you that they continue to enjoy a glass of wine or beer or whiskey on a regular basis so it's a remarkable condition that seems so different in different individuals and I guess you see that through the organization too absolutely absolutely and that's why it's so important to have the discussion with again with your cardiologist to, to seek that advice as to what is safe and what is not you know um you know, and I, yeah, and again, for me, it's just that it just, it feels, it feels unsafe for me to do so. And I know that it impacts me. And again, you know, I think it's, um, it's just simply because my body doesn't like it. You know, it, it just, <laughs> and, and for, as you said, some people just doesn't, you know, people just don't feel the symptoms. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes it's a bad thing because for those with atrial fibrillation that don't feel the symptoms, it can be quite dangerous. So because you know they don't have access to or they they don't know perhaps that that treatment is really important for them that they you know that they might not be put on a anticoagulant or that they you know have 
Exactly right. So one of the, if I could speak to that for a moment, one of the real concerns about atrial fibrillation is if that top chamber of the heart is not pumping properly and blood pools in that chamber and collects, that blood can form a clot. And if that blood forms a clot, then eventually breaks off and goes to the brain. It yep. can cause a devastating stroke. And so the tragedy, and this is why you've got awareness weeks, so I know that, and the tragedy of atrial fibrillation that people are not aware of is that the first time that it could become apparent is when an otherwise well person ends up in hospital with a stroke. Right. So very, very serious. Uh, that's an end of the spectrum when it comes to symptoms that you just don't want to go near, actually. Exactly. So, um, no, it's a remarkable situation. And just only because those uh, numbers are pretty close at hand to me, we know that atrial fibrillation affects about 1% of the entire population. So that's a lot of people in 20 million of our country. We also know that it affects people more as they age. So Tanya, um, if I can pay you a compliment, you seem like an outlier because Tanya's young and fit and well and doesn't look like the standard atrial fibrillation patient. That's because of the stress her heart was under from issues uh, with congenital heart and abnormality. But the most common uh, patients with atrial fibrillation are older with multiple comorbidities. And we know that nearly 15% of the population have atrial fibrillation if they're over 80 years of age. So check your pulse if you're over 80 years of age, get someone to check it for you, make sure it's okay. okay. Tanya, you're looking pretty well at the moment. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, does the atrial fibrillation impact you? Is it something that's front of mind or is it something that really when it comes, it gives you the most strife or how, how do you deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, look, um, the arrhythmia is, uh, you know, absolutely affect me on a day-to-day -day basis. But at the moment, obviously, I'm in a situation where I'm working from home with COVID-19. So, um, you know, I mean, I try and get some fresh air. So I try to go for a little walk, even if, you know, even when I'm getting the, having the irregular heartbeat, because it's still important to try and get a little bit of exercise in. Um, but, you know, again, I think we're all impacted by COVID-19, no matter what. So even though, you know, the procedures have all been postponed, um, you know, we're all, again, we're all impacted, aren't we? So I think um, I, I'm in a position where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 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 able to work from home, so I'm I'm safe here. I I I know that if I need to go to hospital, that it's safe for me to go to hospital because it's still really important that we're all keeping up with our cardiology appointments and that we're Absolutely. going to hospital if we need to. <laughs> um, so I'm you know I'm fine, but it is impacting me every day. Um, but but again, it's just it's a situation that we're in, and I think. Um, you know, we just have to take it day by day. Look, um, we've been talking for over 10 minutes and the time absolutely flies. So I really appreciate that. But we're going to wrap up just for trying to keep to a reasonable time frame. Before I do, though, you've um, lived this yourself. You give people support. If there's someone listening who's had atrial fibrillation for the first time or second time, I imagine they would have fear and apprehension and uncertainty about what it all means. Have you got some, some words from your own experience some reassurance or guidance or something you would, you would say to someone who's, who's really confronted this, this condition, this rhythm disturbance for the first or second time, and they're new to it? 
Look, I would just say that, you know, I think the most important thing is um, following your cardiologist advice. You know, as so long as you're um, taking the treatment that your cardiologist is giving you, then you're really, it's not as scary as, as, as what it seems to be. You know, I think, I think that's what's most important. You know, you can live a normal, a normal life. I think it's just most important that you're following their guidance. You know, it's, um, I, I, you know, my, my, my situation is really complex. And so mine's probably, um, I am a little bit different than most. So mine does sound probably a little bit scarier than, than, than most, but a lot of people can live with atrial fibrillation and not even feel it, you know? So, um, so again, I think listening to your cardiologist and being educated about it can take the anxiety away um it really can um so so i think just listen to to what they say take the treatment that they that they recommend um and you're already off to a really good start yeah great advice <laughs> what, what i'm going to do is i'm going to say um look up hearts for heart because they do provide support and they've got information um they are a great organization and, and reach out to them as well because they need support from you so that uh, they can support you back. I'm going to wrap it up there. It's been absolute delight talking with you, Tanya. Um, for those who are listening, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any queries or questions, drop us a line at members at drwarwickbishop.online. If you've got any suggestions for future podcasts, let us know. As always, thank you so much for, atten for your attention. Until next time, I wish you the very best and please don't die from a heart attack. Goodbye. You have been listening to another podcast from Dr. Warwick. Visit his website at drwarwickbishop.com for the latest news on heart disease. If you love this podcast, feel free to leave us a review.